Baker got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. No, you said it would be cool to go. You want to hang with us? Just needs to pass the dare. All you have to do is go inside. <laughs> Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And, and I'm David Campbell. I love the fact that you just jumped in there and just cut me off. It's like, no, it's all good. It's uh, we just no waffle. We haven't got time for this. That's producer Dave getting getting down to it. It's like, that's it. So you know what? I'll follow your lead. Um, with us in the studio, or not in the studio, virtual studio, we have uh, a video, we have a video blogger, YouTube channel, a very amazing channel. Please tell us your name and the name of your YouTube channel. Hi, my name is Emily Lau. Uh, I run the YouTube channel Emiloid. I do uh, a booktube on there, so a lot of book critique. Uh, and also I do a lot of film critique. And I am, I call myself a sometimes video essayist as well, because that's how I do most of my uh, film critique. Uh, and uh, yeah, that about covers that. Yeah, and uh, for those those people who uh, may, you might follow my own YouTube channel, idiot the idiot on the writer's block, little plug right there. Um, I, that's how I got to know. I got to meet uh, Emily. Emily is is one of the experts who's advising me on how to uh, you know write, publish, and promote my first <laughs> fiction novel. So uh, Emily has got some great advice that with a number of videos that have come out. Uh, you should check out the most recent one on horror. Uh, horror tropes to embrace and avoid. Uh, Emily is is one of the experts I'm always going to be going to when it comes to horror stuff. So you're going to be hearing her a lot. I, I'm just saying this, this. I've not really spoken to her about this yet. So she's going to be reoccurring a lot on this uh, on this show when it comes to horror stuff. So this week, as it's obviously Halloween tomorrow, um, the, the 31st of October, Halloween. It's Saturday. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Saturday. Yeah. So we're, we're pretending, we're pretending that this is live on Friday, on Friday when this goes out on Resonance FM. So it's, it's tomorrow as Saturday. I say, I say we're pretending. The audience are listening to is like, just get on with it, please. Um, so yeah, in honor of, of Halloween, the spooky season, uh, we're going to have as our uh, spotlight for this week, uh, the filmmaker Giles Alderson, who has, uh, he has a film coming out called The Dare. It's on on demand. You can get it on Sky uh, Sky uh, Sky Now. Yes, yeah, Sky Now. Is this Sky Now? Sky no, Store. Now, now TV. You can get it on Now TV. You can get it on Sky Store. See what I did? I merged two different things together. Just uh, I did that on purpose. I didn't. I made a mistake. It was Sky Store. You can get it on Sky Store as well as Now TV or on iTunes and I think on uh, Google Play. You can download it as well. Uh, go check it out. It's The Dare. Um, I happened to get a screener. Uh, Producer Dave, did you get to watch The Dare? Uh, not yet. Not finished it not yet. yet. 
Okay, you should. I watched it. I and I, as soon as I finished watching it, I messaged him just saying, "Nice work. He did a great job. It has. It's very atmospheric." Um, but you can listen to him talk about this when we get to the spotlight section. Uh, he also gave us his top five favorite horror films in that spotlight section as well, which will merge in with ours. I'm going to stay out of this because we've got a resident expert in Emily Lau, who's going to tell us her top five favorite horror films, as well as producer Dave. Uh, but before we do any of that stuff, let's jump into film and TV news. <laughs> You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm David Campbell. And we have a, a YouTube YouTuber, booktuber, Emily Lau from the YouTube channel, Emily Lloyd, uh, with us today. Uh, one, of, one of the things that really uh, that caught my attention with your videos uh, is how, in, how insightful, how much depth of research you actually go into when you're analyzing some of the projects that you're working on. The first video I caught of yours was the seemed controversial at the time until <laughs> tomorrow came out, which was the one where you had talked about um, not liking the movie. No, not necessarily saying not liking it is not characterizing it correctly. You said that the latest Little Women film, in fact, I'll mm -hmm. let you put your point across rather than me mischaracterizing it. What was your opinion about the movie uh, Little Women, the one that came out uh, most recently? Yes, Little Women 2019, the one, uh, so it came out in last December, gosh. Um, but yeah, I, I deeply disliked it. Uh, <laughs> so, so, I, so I was right that you didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it, it was, it's accurate, it's accurate. Um, uh, although I would say, uh, I, I think uh, it's true that like, it doesn't really cover the depth of my feelings. Uh, it, I felt that it was, First of all, an imposition of a lot of modern, uh, modern ideas on the story, um, a lot of the director's own personal feelings uh, on the story rather than a representation of the book itself. Uh, I also thought it was, uh, it didn't represent a lot of the characters, uh, the, you know, in uh, the way that they are um, in the book, I thought it was a very weak representation of a, a lot of the characters, like uh, uh, the mother uh, in the story I, is such a strong woman, but she feels so milquetoast and kind of flimsy. Uh, I felt a lot of the um, sisters felt uh, they, oh, some of them had very incomplete arcs. Uh, I thought the casting was whack, first of all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah that oh. was that i because there are a lot of because th that video um got it garnered a lot of critique and there were a lot of negative oh, yeah. on it. and it was mainly for that point that you had mentioned because you were talking about um uh, florence Pugh and sasha ronan and a whole bunch of yeah. like you know real, really beloved actresses that yeah. you basically that. yeah Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I know, like, Saoirse Ronan, like, I thought she, uh, she was, I didn't dislike her, uh, I think, um, uh, like, she, she was, you know, like, fine, uh, but I thought, the, uh, you know, Emma Watson was a terrible casting choice for Meg, like, she's not, like, an older sister, like, she is the older si sister, like, you, uh, you read the book, you know she's the older sister, like, 1994, yeah. you know she's the oldest, and she doesn't carry that sense of authority, um, and that an older sister carries, and um, and I, I, 
yeah, so a lot of the casting was off. Like Florence Pugh and like Laurie, like, you know, they uh, like Florence Pugh looks like an adult the whole time, even though she starts out the film when she's 12. Um, and then, and then, but then Tim, Tim, Timothy Chalamet, who's Laurie, she has the opposite issue where he looks like a child, even, even though he's supposed to be an adult. So there, uh, so yeah, all kinds of issues with the casting. I think um, a big thing people also took umbrage with in my, um, in my criticism was uh, my thoughts on the chronology of the film as well because it told it in kind of a non-linear uh, fashion so basically we jump from the uh, sort of past and present and I think he, she tried to Greta Gerwig tried to signify this with the color grading like you know the past is rosy and golden and uh, the present is grim um, and dark and and I was like uh, and I got what she was trying to go for she was trying to be like oh well look at how grim the present is versus the past and I'm like it's not the point of the book. The point of the book is that you're trying to, uh, you're growing up and making the best of your circumstances. Like, uh, and, and I felt, yeah, it, it took away from, uh, I felt like the overall like practical and optimistic tone of the book, which is just like, you know, we, uh, we grow up and we have to, um, you know, adapt to different circumstances, but we're still going to make the best of things and we're still going to um, make the best of what we're given. Um, and yeah, I, I felt that uh, that totally missed the point of uh, what the book was going for. And people were like, oh, you missed the genius of the chronology, you know? Uh, she was trying to do something that like actually brought out the emotions more. And I'm like, no, I didn't get that. I thought the execution was very poor because I felt like I was being, uh, I was sitting in a moment with these characters and suddenly I was jerked to another moment in time. And then therefore the character uh, development couldn't breathe. I never got to know any of the characters uh, very well, which is one of the beauty of uh, of Little Women and like successful adaptations is we get to sit with each of these characters first, and then we get to go into the story. Uh, and so, yeah, I I did that just didn't work for me uh, very well. And um, I feel like the whole world knows the changed ending by now. I don't know if I'm spoiling anybody. Uh, with the I, I, actually, I would say I, I would say don't because I have okay. I actually haven't watched it yet. I watched your okay. video, but I haven't right. watched. And, I, and when it got to that bit, I sort of I moved away from it. So I was like, no, stop. Okay, so I've watched fair, it a little fair, bit. Fair. Um, so I haven't watched it. Um, but I will come back to that in just one second. I just want to say fair, uh, you're fair. listening to Shoot the Breeze from Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm David Campbell, and I would just like to point out we try to avoid doing spoilers so yeah fair, fair. yeah, yeah. Fair. We, we, we do because we yeah it's mainly mainly because we have a number of people who've who've had go we, we have a number of people who just curse us if we, we scroll through mm -hmm. and marcus is stuck again oh yeah yeah you can you can see it it's, it's, uh, it's... yeah yeah i can see it <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's talk about your YouTube uh, treatment of uh, Midsummer. Um, one of the things you said right early on was that you weren't exactly offended by it. What exact, mm -hmm. where, where exactly do you come from on that score? Okay, so um, I am I, I, I come from a place where I try not to take media or like a piece of art too personally, right? Um, like because I think there's a lot of um, situations where maybe an artistic uh, intent is not necessarily directed at me, or maybe they're trying to go for something. And, and I think I avoid saying, oh, I'm so offended because 
like I, I, I first of all, I've been turned off a lot um, in over the years by people being like, oh, this was so offensive to this demographic. This is so offensive to, to these people or that people. Um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, well, you know, maybe um, we maybe we just don't understand where they're coming from or what their intent is. Right. So uh, so for me, I'm uh, when I watched Midsommar, I think my feelings were too complicated for me to necessarily say whether I was offended as such. I was like, yeah, I, I don't, I have mixed feelings about this, but it didn't necessarily uh, extend to, oh, like I felt like they were attacking what I was, uh, um, like attacking my faith or, uh, or paganism as such. So yeah, I, uh, I avoid, uh, and also I feel like the, the film itself uh, was going for something using paganism as a device and um, and given the success of its intentions in other areas, I was just like, um, okay, well, I can't be necessarily offended, but uh, yeah, I think my feelings were too complicated um, to necessarily say I was offended. What exactly about Midsommar did you find um, not offensive, but concerning? Let's put it that way. Okay. So, um, Hilmar is going along with uh, a lot of common trends in horror, especially for pagans. Uh, I think um, while it was very successful in, in conveying its point about, you know, indoctrination and such, uh, I felt it was uh, falling into the common trope of representing pagans as a sort of mindless horde. Uh, and basically this uh, brainwashed uh, group of people that's really um, acts as one organism. There's no individuals. And, you know, there's always like a human sacrifice uh, in these types of films. And, uh, and, I, and there's, they're always just brutal people. And I think, it, while I understand, like, sometimes they're trying to represent, you know, oh, maybe it's all, all older paganism. I'm like, well, paganism as an umbrella of religions, First of all, we're so diverse. You can't like say this is like a blanket uh, pagan cult uh, or just this is a cult that represents a lot of pagans. And second, we, we're so, we've changed so much, even in the past few decades uh, um, as a set of religions that when you portray us over and over again as these mindless people who are uh, unquestioningly you know, brutal and murderous, you per perpetuate notions that have become so untrue. Uh, so I think I didn't appreciate that aspect of the film. And also, I think a lot of uh, pagan horror uh, represents us just as, oh, we worship this god and we do these, sac these sacrifices, but, but there's no other nuance to, oh, what is the culture? What are the, what are the mythological beliefs that underlie these practices? Like, and that's why I draw, I drew a lot of uh, comparisons to Wicker Man, you noticed in, um, yeah. in the video as well, because yeah. Because in the Wicker Man, you felt like these are the deities and these are their daily life practices and these are uh, what they believe and this is how they bury their dead. And you felt like it was a very layered culture. Whereas Midsommar, I feel like it's almost like when you're building a film set and you build the facade of, of a house or a street, but there's nothing behind it. Yeah. And that's what I felt like from Midsommar, um, from, this, uh, from how they had sketched uh, this commune. Okay, so what are your thoughts and feelings on other pagans who love the movie? Oh, I mean, I'm, uh, I know other pagans really, uh, really liked it. I think, 
I think they're just focusing on um, other aspects of the film um, and that's perfectly fine. Um, like I think they, uh, a lot of pagans that I talked to, uh, they thought it was very good at conveying uh, what, it, what it is to be brainwashed and what it is to uh, enter a very claustrophobic environment and what it is to kind of uh, enter a group to, um, you know, get over your grief. Uh, and also the mental health angle of the film, I think a lot of people uh, did love. Um, and I think um, a lot of pagans I do talk to are, I think they're so used to seeing this trope in media that they sort of just brush it off. Uh, and a lot of pagans, uh, they're like, oh, I wasn't, you know, necessarily, you know, offended. I know, like, pagans are bad guys in a lot of films, but, you know, I mean, I, I just had fun with it, you know. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah, there, uh, a lot of them, they're just like, yeah, it's okay that they um, made up, like, a whole, like, you know, pagan faith. It was just their own, you know, because paganism is so diverse. And, um, and I think a lot of them don't want to just... Um, they want to just have fun with things. They don't want to just necessarily like take on the label of being offended because I think, you know, yeah, it, it, I think people, they try to be, a lot of pagans just try to be more flexible and open with this stuff. Uh, but I guess for me, I was like, yeah, we, we can be open-minded and open to other people's creativity and how they view us. Uh, but at the same time, I think I was personally getting a little sick of people going into these films and then taking away these notions um, of us, uh, you know, it's, I don't think we should just sit there and put up with it um, anymore just because we don't want to ruin other people's fun. And I agree with that because that was something that I picked from, especially from your video as well, where you, because you, you put in some snippets of some pretty, uh, you know, uh, public, uh, and by public, I mean, YouTube, uh, YouTubers who are, pagans and who actually have a large community mm -hmm. that follow pagans and they were raving about Midsommar when mm -hmm. you watch the movie and it's it is and you you put that comparison perfectly where you said actually no these people should get to know they're yes they're a community but it's a, it's it's what everyone fears about what we understand again not many people know much about the pagan religion and about pagan pagan communities and why when you really associated with everything negative, mm -hmm. you think yeah. cult, you think, as you mentioned, human sacrifice, etc., um, or uh, sort of brainwashing. That's yeah. one thing. So where you, you associate cults with brainwashing, etc., and that's essentially what this this community does, which you explored very eloquently in your video, um, showing how all of the characters are actually manipulated into performing the acts they do, even to the very final point where you then see, and I'm not going to say how it ends, but even to that final point where the final action occurs, you see that it's all been in a manipulation. And you can just imagine, essentially, you know, when the, when the lights go down, the curtains go down, what happens the next day? You can imagine another group of people come in and it's the same thing and it carries mm -hmm. on from there, which, yeah. I, which really shocked me to then see other pagans actually cheer and, and promote this movie, which... Again, and I think uh, personally, on a personal note, I think you probably have an issue with Florence Pugh because that's two movies in a row <laughs> you do not like. Uh, Florence Pugh with the Little Women and she's in Midsommar. I'm just waiting to hear your take on the Black Widow movie when it comes out. Because oh, okay. <laughs> if, it's, if it's three for three, then I know for a fact that Emily Lau does not like Florence Pugh 
and that is basically what it is. So uh, yeah, maybe she and I aren't went, aren't meant to be friends. Maybe that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. You're listening to Truth the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm the obviously absent Marcus, <laughs> and I'm David Campbell. Yeah, we're we're with YouTuber Emily Lau from the YouTube channel Emily Lloyd. Uh, it, it's great content for for books and films. If you want to get a great analysis on various books that you want to read or films that you want to watch, go check it out on YouTube. She's also she also is a regular on my YouTube channel, The Idiot on the Writer's Block. So check it out; uh, it's fantastic. So um, we're gonna do a quick cut to the spotlight section now, where we'll talk to Giles Alderson about his new movie, The Dare, which I personally have watched. I, we didn't watch it. I hadn't watched it before the interview. Um, I watched it after the interview. So obviously I didn't know much about it when we interviewed him. I highly recommend it. And I say it's Shoot the Breeze, Halloween film for the year. That's my, my opinion. Go check it out and then let us know what you think. But let's go into Spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Acko. And I'm David Campbell. And with us is a friend of the show, uh, one of my podcast inspirations. I basically listen to your podcast to get ideas on how to be a better uh, podcaster, even though I don't do it that uh, I Obviously, I'm not learning from what you're, what you're saying. <laughs> so uh, we have filmmaker Giles Alderson in the house. Uh, hello, Giles. Welcome. Hello and thank you. What a lovely intro. That was so nice. And really appreciate the fact that you listen to my podcast, the fact that you even take inspiration from my ridiculous ramblings and my ridiculous voice. But I appreciate that. I know you're brilliant at this and so is David and you guys do an amazing job. So thank oh, you. Thank you. If you're, if you're looking for podcasts, film podcasts to, to listen to, go and find the Filmmakers Podcast. It's got tons and tons of interesting interviews. You've got Paul Knight, who's appeared on the show a number of times. You've got yeah. Mark Strong. Uh, all of them show up on the Filmmakers Podcast and they tell wonderful stories about their filmmaking experiences. And you hear the expert, Giles Alderson, talking about his own films. Uh, and he's going to be coming in he's here now talking to us about one of his films, which has come out just in time for Halloween. Giles, tell us what this film is, what it's all about, and why we should go and see it. Do you know, I'm so excited to even talk about this film. And I say that because I've been talking about the bloody thing for the last four years. Um, it is called The Dare. It's finally released in the UK. This has been my passion project for the last six years. It has been uh, a momentous and difficult and challenging and wonderful and uplifting experience to, to get this movie to the masses to get it to eyeballs uh, horror fans around the world and that means everything to me but um yeah it's it's a dark psychological twisted thriller with massive gore elements and uh, it follows one man who's been kidnapped from his home and ends up in a basement with three other people and he has to work out while they're there at the same time they're being tortured by someone or some things and there is also uh, a kid who is in the farmhouse, potentially above them with an old man. And we have to work out why they're there. And the whole world collides in this massive um, orgasmatron of blood, guts, uh, joyousness. And um, <laughs> my film, The Dare, which um, I'm delighted to say is, is finally out now. You can watch it 
wherever you want to watch your movie you know obviously not netflix yet because we still want people to to buy it <laughs> and make some money from it <laughs> yeah we we, we played a, a a clip from the trailer uh, in the last at the beginning of the last episode we're going to play it again at the, at the beginning of this episode so the sound clips that we play we play clips from different movies and whatnot and we got that clip from there um from the trailer and obviously you we, you've spoken about this project in the past it's kind of heavily influenced by saw is this correct it's, I mean, it's got elements of Saw. There's no question about it. But we, we wanted to sort of steer away from that whole torture porn element and what people have given. It's given a bad name, you know, the last sort of five years. Oh, not another one of those movies. But the, everyone does reference the Saw thing. Um, Amartas is another one, Mum and Dad. All these really cool horror films that you go, wow, if we get referenced anywhere near close to that, what Lee Winnell did and James Wan had done with their amazing horror movies is just different level. But yeah, of course it's going to have those elements. But it, it does, we feel, have a different twist. It has a different story and a heartfelt one. It's an origin story of sorts as well. You really get to feel for why this is happening. Um, and it's a big redemption story of bullying and what you shouldn't have done in your past. Does that come back to haunt you? Can you make amends for that? Or do you deserve what is coming to you. Um, so it really dives into all that as well. So as much as we get compared to Saw, I feel that it, it should stand above that. You know, if you mix Saw with Sleepers, I'd say that was our film. That's a very, a very good comparison. Uh, Sleepers, Jason Patrick, Brad Pitt, uh, etc. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, putting Saw in there just as an example is just, it, it's mainly because there's one scene in the, uh, one shot in the, uh, in the trailer that is essentially loads of people trapped in a room. And so immediately you jump to that. But yeah. I'm glad you're saying it, it moves on from Saw because... Uh, well, um, absolutely. Yeah, and it's about those... It's about making really uh, the cooler and cooler elements of how people can get sort, you know, how they get trapped, how they go into these traps. And the behind the scenes of making those are, is incredible. But you're right, it does become samey, which is fine. It's a franchise, it can do that. But yeah, we wanted to go somewhere a bit different, myself and Johnny Grant, the co-writer. We wanted to go somewhere a bit deeper and darker in your mind. And really, this could happen to you, which God forbid it does. But yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, and one a face that pops up uh, quite a bit, very memorable face, Richard Brake, one of the actors. You'd recognize him in... Uh, various movies such as uh, in fact there's a TV series at the moment Brave New World which is on Sky he popped yes. up on there I was like it's Richard Brake uh, yeah and he's in he's a whole bunch of other shows like uh, uh, Sanctuary uh, Absentia Supernatural he pops up in Su Supernatural uh, mm -hmm. a couple of times as well and Peaky Blinders is that's where some people people who watch Peaky Blinders would probably yeah. recommend Game of Thrones the, as well as the, as the Night King Mandy Batman oh yeah. my god you know Three from Hell the list goes on with this guy you know exactly. he's, tell us what was it like working with him it was the best um, as soon as his name came up when the casting process I was like what well, we can get Richard Brake uh, and that was it I was like I have to meet him and we set up the meeting, even though I'd written his part to be a much bigger man, because to do with the, the twists and the story, kind of you, you want to make believe that he is maybe someone else in the movie. Um, but as soon as I knew he could be in contention, as soon as I met him and knew what he could bring to the role, 
the presence, that enigmatic feel he has, the looking in his eyes. I was like, I have to have this man in my film. It will work. Here's how I can make it work. And then it was just a case of, you know, talking to the studio and explaining why I wanted Richard Brake over, you know, because we shot in Bulgaria. So for them, they didn't want to fly people over if they didn't have to, you know, it's not a big budget movie. But I explained why I wanted Richard Brake and I did a full pitch breakdown and I did clips from his movies and I explained why I wanted him to be in the debt and do you know what? I'm so glad I have done that because he is just amazing on set but also the horror fans love him of course absolutely people are watching the dead because he's in it and you go well what a choice what an amazing choice we could have had a you know a wonderful Bulgarian actor in there but it wouldn't have had the the, the presence that Richard Brake has a hundred percent and I wanted to touch on that particular word that you just used at presence that's the mm. thing with uh, with acting often oftentimes it doesn't matter about the actual size of the actor they can project a amount of presence in a room and it, no matter if they're the smallest person in the room they feel like the biggest person in the room the one person in particular that does that a lot for me is Stephen Graham when he oh, steps yeah. in he's on any scene he steps in and he could be surrounded by heavyweights and he still can carry with the latest film I saw him do that in was um, the Martin Scorsese one. Oh, it, name escapes me. Um, the Netflix one. Uh, um, yeah, it's gone from my head right now. You've said it. The, yeah. the, the something. It's the. Just, it's, it's just filled with, with, with um, <laughs> superheroes in the acting community. Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe mm-hmm. Pesci, etc. And Stephen Graham is in just one scene. And he just, as soon as he's in that scene, he's fire in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's gone. And, and I'm like, ah, come back. Uh, and, and the other show that he was on, Boardwalk Empire, he played Al Capone, and he just he sizzles as Al Capone. Yeah. Richard Brake is exactly the same kind of uh, actor. Absolutely. And these are the kind of actors you want to work with, you know, because not only are they brilliant at what they do, but also they bring something else. And me and Richard Brake talked about this a lot about, he said, I don't want to play as the character I've played before what is about this that is different? And I explained, I said, this is why it's different. This isn't someone who is, he thinks he's normal. He thinks this guy is absolutely doing the right thing. There's no question about it that he believes what he's doing is the right thing, but yet he's still got a heart, you know, inside him, but he just doesn't know how to show that because of the loss of something he's gone through as well. And he then attached himself to that. And therefore the brutality that he has to do in the film to you know at the time a very young actor which isn't easy to do um he embraced it he said okay i've got to do this because this is why he's doing it and he gave him the reasons but i think working with any actors it has to be like that you have to give them reasons for doing something you can't just go crazy or you can't just be in love with some why what is the reasons what what are the connections and actors love that and I, i that's what i love about working with actors is finding those connections so therefore you can you can really hone those little crafts and little moments and eye ticks and whatever the actors want to bring to the role. And, and Richard Brake is no exception. He's just phenomenal. Hence why I work with him on Arthur and Merlin as well after that. Oh, and we will touch on that in just a second. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm David Campbell. And we are here with a writer, a director, filmmaker, actor you've got pretty much you've you've got a check mark for every single one of those roles uh giles alderson he's talking about his latest movie the dare which is a horror film is is it's shoot the breeze uh pick 
for horror film for 2020. Definitely go and see it. Uh, it is going to be on. Uh, it, it, wh- what what channels can people watch it on? What what avenues can people pay for it to watch this movie? Well, first of all, I'm over the moon that I'm pick of the week. By the way, that the dare is it, honestly this a Halloween pick of the week. This is incredible. Thank you, honestly, thank you. Um, you can watch the dare are uh, at Sky Store. Um, so that basically that's your free one. If you've got Sky, you can watch it there on Amazon. Um, you can go to PlayStation, but it's the DVDs now at HMV, Zavi, and all other good supermarkets and evil ones as well. Yeah, as, as Sky Store is not free. You pay for Sky. You you, you buy- do you do pay for it, but most people have it so therefore you kind of feel like it's free if you're paying for it it's free right it's a bit like the netflix but we don't want to go on netflix yet because once it's on netflix no one will buy the dvd no one will get it anywhere else or so uh, that comes last Um, of course no this this movie is 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 already set up for me to watch on halloween night i'm not a real i'm not a big fan of horror uh well no and let me let me rephrase that um, I, I, I love all genres of films, even the rom-coms, even the really trashy rom-coms. I will happily sit down and watch a movie. I think you'd uh, like the rom-coms more than anything else. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I, I mean too. is horrors, horrors scar me. And it's, and I was saying to someone recently, it was, it was only, um, uh, not fairly recently. It was only about 15 years ago. And if you know how old I am, you know that that is not that long ago. Um, <laughs> that, that 65. I, I, yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> that I, I was able to watch a horror film and be able to switch off the lights uh, and go to bed. So, yeah, horror. So I'm going to be watching The Dare and making sure that, that happens as well. I want to ask one more question about The Dare before we move on to some other things that we'll talk about. Sure. Um, what films, I know we, we've already mentioned Saw and you kind of mentioned Sleepers as well. What other horror films sort of inspired you when you were creating? Because you wrote this uh, film, you wrote, you're one of the writers on the script. Mm-hmm. Um, what films inspired you when you were making this film, both, both in the visual sense, the uh, dialogue, the character development, etc.? Yeah, there's honestly there's so many. It, it it was a it was a long period of actually not writing the movie itself, but of the whole gestating period before you actually get on set was two years, which technically in a film making terms is very short. You know, in a studio system which I was in, which is amazing from a debut movie, by the way. Just wow, what what an experience and what a privilege. Um, but some of the films during that time were do you know what we looked outside the box because like i say we didn't rewatch saw we didn't rewatch martyrs because we didn't want to be influenced by that we really even though of course they are they're in your psyche all these films are we can say it's an original idea but actually as a kid you watch movies all the time you read stories you understand where ideas come from but it was movies like zodiac you know anything by david fincher was that sense of dread this is what we wanted to get across in the dare was that feeling so therefore we stayed away from watching any horror we we really concentrated on what makes this an interesting story what makes this a father and son tale or a bullying tale so we'd we'd watch things like stand by me and um god wow the the list i haven't thought about this for ages but i just we had a list of stuff you know that that went back but anything that was Anything that had a, a meaning or a heart, we'd, we'd talk about that. But um, yeah, we just didn't want to be influenced too much. But this, I, I'm a, like, like you, I'm a massive movie fan and I, I, I'm a, sick, a stickler for uh, comedies as well. I love romantic comedies. I, I just do. And I've had a few messages, obviously, when the dares come out going, you sick. Mm, you know and it's like whoa well yeah i probably am but i'd love my romantic comedies at the end of the day so 
People yeah, think I'm, it's you, don't they? They're like, you know, oh, you, you've made this horrible movie. How dare you? And you're like, well. <laughs> at, least you, at least you didn't make it in time for Valentine's Day. Um, Absolutely, mate. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, is there, I mean, would there, as, a, as a filmmaker yourself, is, is there any chance or that you could have a mashup where it's a romantic horror film or a, a, a horrific romantic film? Would you ever see it to mash those two genres together? A hundred percent, yeah. And in fact, there's talk of one of my next films being one of those actually a romantic horror film well it's yeah technically not this romantic but there is romance <laughs> in it but it's yeah. more of a comedy horror but yeah i'd love to do imagine that four weddings but it's you know they're killing everyone at each weddings and stuff and it's just blood going everywhere and it but it's funny i can imagine I, the, movies. I can imagine the elevator pitch is four weddings with zombies and <laughs> i'm <laughs> sure someone's pitched that that sounds yeah. like someone's pitched that i, I, I think that was that, that was the pitch for pride prejudice and, right, and, and zombies yeah. zombies right yeah totally yeah so, Actually, whenever I think of whenever I think of horror movies, and I've said this story on on the show before, whenever I think of horror movies and romance, I always often think of um, a date I went on when I was dating, where I took my date to go and see uh, what was it? It was the Rob Zombie film, um, uh, Three from Hell, Thirty One. How long ago was this? Uh, this was this was in uh, the in early well mid uh, 2000s. How House of a Thousand Corpses? Devil's House Rejects. Devil's Rejects. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, hey, the date worked out. I married her, so it's everything. Mate, <laughs> <laughs> happy story. I thought you were yeah. gonna say, and I killed her, or you know, she <laughs> ran away screaming like this guy is off his head. But she no, did. we married her. Oh, she's still running away screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did. She looked like, okay, so this is the level that we're going with. I'm like, yeah, this is yeah, yeah. Like, this is where uh, we're at. This uh, is where actually, we're at. Uh, so, Giles, uh, just just before we move on to, and I want, I would love to get you to talk to us about your top five favorite films, favorite horror mm. films. Uh, in our next segment uh, just before we wrap that up you mentioned that uh, Richard Brake is in your next film tell us what your next film is and when can we expect to see it well Arthur and Merlin it's already out so this is what's really weird about my career is that <laughs> I made the dare like four years ago we we finished principal photography and then we had to do reshoots and pickups and we had problems with the studio space and distributors and getting it out there and in that time I've released other movies and had them out. So even though my debut movie is The Dare, I've had other movies out since then that I've directed and produced. So Arthur and Merlin came out in, oh God, it, during COVID, obviously, because that's what all my movies seems to be doing at the moment. Um, and, and Richard Brake was in that. He played my Merlin. Um, had a, quite a few guys from The Dare in that as well. Um, and then The Serial Killer's Guide to Life came out at the beginning of the year as well. So it's been, even though 2020 is absolutely horrendous for the COVID situation, I've had kind of three movies out. <laughs> you kind of go, oh, should I be celebrating that or not? 2020, oh, but you know. Uh, so yes, so Arthur and Merlin is out now. And again, that's on Sky Store and it's in anywhere. You can pick up DVDs if you want. Uh, and any other place you want it to find it on digital, it will be there. Excellent, excellent. Uh, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm David Campbell. Giles couldn't stay for the whole show, but you can listen to his top five after Marcus has given his. Here is top five favourites. Okay, so as I said earlier on, I'm going to excuse myself because we're, you know, we're short on time. We've got so much content from very experienced people. 
more than myself talking about stuff. So I'm going to let uh, producer Dave give us his top five favorite horror films. And we'll go to our guest. Uh, in fact, we'll start with our guest and then go to producer Dave. Uh, Emily Lau from the YouTube channel, Emily Lloyd. Uh, Emily is going to tell us her number five and number four uh, favorite horror films. And then producer Dave will say his five and four. While I furiously take notes of horror films I'm going to be watching this weekend. So Emily, let's start with you. What is your number five and number four? Five and number four. I would say uh, uh, a film that I saw years ago called Don't Look Now. Uh, it has Julie Christie in it and Donald Sutherland. And uh, it's basically about the, it's a very slow burn horror film. It's kind of um, a, uh, it's like a slow horror about this couple dealing with the grief um, over losing their child and they're in Venice and um, and there's kind of a sort of a murderer uh, going um, going around and killing people, and uh, and it's it, yeah, it's this very slow build, um, and it, the the end like I think has traumatized me um, to this day. And another one uh, I think is um, uh, is Equus, uh, but, uh, which is uh, I think I cited a lot in my Midsommar video actually. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah uh, it is about a psychiatrist who treats a teenager who has developed a pathological worship of horses um, and has developed in his mind uh, a deity called Equus, a um, so horse in Latin and you know um, and that is his version of God and then that kind of causes the uh, uh, the psychiatrist to kind of go through his own like existential crisis about uh, the mundaneness of his own life. Uh, so those would be my five and four. Excellent. Producer Dave, what is your number five and four? Um, my number five, well, I'll preface this by saying I haven't been watching that many in the way of horror films. I've not watched that trope for a long period of time. I have seen a few new ones, but most of them are old. So I'm going to start with number five has been an American werewolf in London because you need some comedy. It is gory. It is um, comedic. There are some nice little touches in there. And if you're, if you're into history, you'll be able to see London as it was before it's been, it got changed in the mid 80s. Um, so that's my number five. I'm not going to go into details of the, the film. My number four is a double header, two films. The first one is The Thing, the original one. And the second one is Carrie. The Thing set in the North Pole. Carrie set in a, in a high school. Both have been remade, but I'm going with the originals. Number five, American Werewolf in London. Number four, Thing and Carrie. See, I love American Werewolf in London. That is one of the film, in fact, when we did uh, top five scary scenes a couple of years ago, uh, the scene in the woods, it's a dream sequence where he's running in the woods. That didn't to say it scarred me. It didn't scar me per se, but I had reoccurring nightmares of that particular scene. So I love American, uh, American Werewolf in London. Uh, Carrie, I haven't actually seen Carrie. I've only seen the end. I've seen from that scene, from the, um, the prom scene till the end. That's all I've seen. I haven't seen the beginning part of Carrie. Need to watch that. And the thing is amazing. I love the mm. thing. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a good film. Yeah. Excellent. So I'm making notes. I'm going to be watching all of these films. Uh, don't look now. They, they, that's a Donald Sutherland uh, film, yes. right? So I really enjoyed yes. that one as well. So Emily, what is your number three and number two? 
let's see. Uh, my, uh, I guess if I were to order them, uh, Shaun of the Dead, uh, where if we want to go with a little bit of comedy uh, as well. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's really a comedy, but I, I, I also enjoy it as a horror as well. So, uh, I mean, I think, um, like with uh, Simon Pegg, of course, you cannot, um, you can't beat him um, in the film. And I think my favorite scene from the film is kind of when they're trying to throw the vinyl records at the zombies. Um, I think that's, uh, that's one of my, uh, my favorite scenes. Is that the don't stop me now moment? Uh, I, yeah. Yes, that is. That's, yes, that's, that's it. The, oh, no, 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 no. So no, that's the end. That's it's. That, when, that's, the, that's the end. It's the, it's yeah. in the beginning when they're in the house and like they're, they're just taking out the vinyls. Then they're just going through the vinyls. Like, no, I can't. I can't throw this out. No, and then yeah. they, they try to pick another vinyl record to like <laughs> throw like frisbees at the zombies. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Prince Batman soundtrack. Yeah, you can throw that. And then you throw yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I like that film and. Um, and uh, going with my number two, uh, it part one actually I really liked uh, the you know the the in the remake um, I really liked uh, uh, the, the part one part two I have not seen but I really enjoyed part one. I'm with you on that. I've seen both part one and part two. Part two is okay, but okay. It, it's in my opinion it's kind of a little all over the place. Part one, on the other hand, I think was it was a it is a chilling awesome mm -hmm. movie and i think um yeah. uh scars uh, bill skarsgård is amazing mm -hmm. as pennywise excellent so shawn of the dead is number three it as number two uh, producer dave what's your number uh, three and two uh, my number three again another double header and again from the past um exorcist which really shouldn't need shouldn't need any explanation it is one of those classic horror movies that made a star out of a little girl especially when she spun. And the other one is Omen, which came out around about the same time. And number two, seven, um, scary movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, Emily, I didn't, I didn't uh, prep you on this. Uh, we, can't, we often double up most of the time whenever we're doing our top five. Our top five ends up being top 10 because <laughs> one goes with like two and three and whatnot. It, it wasn't so, that, it was just that I couldn't choose. And you know, I, I needed to have the thing in there. I also needed to have Carrie in there. And when I did Exorcist, um, I always remember Omen, so it has to had to go in there as well. So yeah, yeah. One of these days, we're going to have to be really strict about that and say, nope, this is exactly. It's got to be five, <laughs> and nothing else. Uh, you're you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance One Hundred Four Point Four FM. We have the YouTuber Emily Lau from the YouTube channel Emily Lloyd uh, with us. She's about to tell us her number one favorite horror movie of all time. Emily, what is it? All right. Uh, I think I've got to go with The Wicker Man. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, a classic uh, folk horror, classic uh, pagan horror. And, uh, and I know, like, the whole point of me being on this podcast is talking about, like, how I don't like typical pagan representation. But <laughs> <laughs> I think... I was half expecting you to just go, yeah, I didn't like it, but it's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think it was one of the first films of its kind, right? Um, uh, and I think it was, uh, I think it, it, it's the film where every other pagan horror has been trying to do something like it, but has kind of fallen a bit short, or they've just sort of paused where Wicker Man has left off. And that's how I feel about Midsommar. Um, I think uh, uh, like so many films try to emulate it, but uh, ultimately I just feel like there's just really nothing like it. I think uh, best portrayal of pagans um, ever, I think, like despite like despite the whole 
um, pagan horde thing uh, that I was talking about. Uh, you know, a very fleshed out culture, very memorable villain, Christopher Lee. Uh, you know, absolutely great and suave in that role. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and I think the um, uh, sort of bright atmosphere, but with that kind of sense of, uh, of tension, I think that's uh, uh, pretty um, unbeatable. So yeah, I, uh, I love The Wicker Man. That's a great pick. David, what's your number one? Um, this is a new one. And it's shot straight in there at number one because uh, I've only just recently watched it. It's uh, Get Out. Um, it's, a, it's one of those... One of the few horror films that I've seen recently that has actually kind of shaken me. Um, and, and it's a lot better, as you said rightly, uh, Marcus, than Us, done by uh, Jordan Peele, the same director. I've heard that. I've heard that said. Yeah. Um, I have to say that after discussing it with you, I, when I thought back on Us, there were so many bits and pieces that led you to, led you to believe what was going to happen towards the end. But uh, Get Out, it came... It's a bit of a shock, so. Um. No, that's, I, I, again, I stick with your point. And I, and I feel really bad right now that, because I found my list. As we were going through, I found my list. So I'm going to rattle through through them really quickly. Get Out is not on there because it ha holds a very special place in my heart, but I never really associate it with horror. I do say thriller, so that's why it's not on my list. My list, just to rattle through, um, number five is Dracula, the Christopher Lee Dracula. Um, and as you mentioned, Wicker Man, Christopher Lee just solidifies as a villain. My Dracula is Christopher Lee. My number four, you mentioned it, David, American Werewolf in London. Uh, my number three is um, uh, Evil Dead, the Evil Dead, the first one. That one scarred me. I remember watching it for the very first time when I was about six because my brother was watching it. I didn't know what it was. I went, I watched it, scarred me for life. I didn't watch it again for another easily 20 years to go back and watch it. So Evil Dead is my number three. My number two is Candyman. I, I can't, I can't to this day do that whole Candyman in front of a mirror thing five times. I know it's a movie. I know it's an urban legend, but I'm ne I, I can't even do it three times because I might accidentally say it a second time or, you know, a, a fourth time and a fifth time and all of a sudden get a hook in my back. So Candyman is my number two. My number one, I've said this always, I've brought this up on the, on the, on the YouTube channel. I've mentioned this every time I talk to somebody, Hot Cash. It's a TV show from Nigeria. Uh, it's a Nigerian TV show called. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You have mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's that. It it sends chills up my spine. I thought I had gotten over it. I did the YouTube channel on horror tropes. I included a clip from it on from YouTube. And that very night, when I published that video, I went to bed and couldn't go to sleep for an hour because I was awake waiting for the main character to come and get me. So that's, I'm a 30 year, I'm a 38 year old man and I'm still scared of that movie. <laughs> and now here's Giles's top five. So Giles Olison, from yes. five to one, tell us what your top five favorite horror films are. This is difficult. There's so many. And like I say, I've been inspired by so many. And I have to shout out some that aren't on this list. A Blair Witch uh, Project, Paranormal Activity, uh, amazing movies. Um, Host as well, which has just come out on Zoom. Uh, on Zoom, shot on <laughs> came out on Zoom. Everyone, uh, you can't watch it unless you're in his group. No, it obviously it came out on Shudder. It's an amazing movie. But I am going to say the others um, first. My fifth one, the others. I mean, wow, Nicole Kidman is incredible in the movie. Um, 
it, most people remember her for all you know the romantic stuff and they forget about this amazing film the others is so cool the twist is great the pacing is good um the twist uh, the inspiration behind it and oh. the director should be big time he should be a really big director uh, alejandro amemba i hope i pronounced that correctly probably not <laughs> Yeah, Alejandro listens to the show, so he'll, he'll send in. I, 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 well, I hope he says hello. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so the others, you're number five. I love the others as well. What's your number four? Uh, the Mothman Prophecies. That's the Richard Gere one, right? Yeah, oh. yeah. And Laura Linney. And it was yeah. kind of at a time when I was just getting into horror i'd started to act in horror movies myself and the mothman prophecies was one of them and people say is it a horror or is it a thriller with scares and again there's so many different genres of horror uh we could go on for days talking about different genres but the mothman prophecies for me is brilliant it scared the, the absolute bejesus out of me it was so well made so interesting and a true story so that kept me on the edge of my seat and it gave me nightmares mothman prophecies everyone Mothman Prophecies, Richard Gere, uh, Laura Linney. I love Laura Linney. Um, I always, I always seem to, and, and this is, I'm just going to caveat this by saying, I know I always seem to say it, but I always seem to have a crush on the very talented actresses that I mentioned. She, yeah, she was like one of a very long time crush I've had um, from uh, back in the day. My but favorite I, f- my film of all time, Marcus, is BMX Bandits. Uh, and she starred in that as our first ever movie. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, long time crush. Excellent. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I've got... Go on, Tracy David's cracking up in the corner. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh. Uh, I'm being expanded. That's brilliant. So stupid. Stupid movie. Love it. Sorry, I'm David Campbell. And <laughs> we've got Phil Baker, Giles Alderson, who's now giving us his top five favorite horror films. Uh, he's on number three. What is your number three and number two? Okay, Eli Roth, massive um, inspiration for the dare as a director and what he brings to that whole genre, as we've talked about before. But Cabin Fever, um, one of his uh, earlier films, and he goes out on a limb, literally, in most of his films. But in this one, uh, he really went there. And actually, it was, I think, was it his debut movie? Is this first? It's his first. Yeah. And I, I think he gives that whole this could happen to you vibe which i love but it also goes that little bit further so you know it's silly but it's also brilliantly well made and that claustrophobia and the teenagers go to a cabin in the woods he was kind of the first to sort of set this sort of new cabin in the woods type um filmmaking up in the sort of you know late 2000s and stuff so yeah for me cabin fever just because it stands out and it's a it's a, a nod to the dare in some ways Absolutely. That's a great pick. Um, and you're right. It's a brilliant debut from Eli Roth. And then he stepped into Hostel, which uh, I, 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 I liked Hostel, right? Because it, I mean, it did reintroduce, not necessarily reintroduce, it didn't reintroduce it, but it brought uh, torture porn into uh, pop cinema. It's like into popular cinema. Um, yeah. b- before that, it was stuff like, um, you know, was zombie flesh eaters and so on and so forth, which were, and, and you know, the, the not snuff porn, but the fake snuff porn. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, it was just yeah. a little bit icky and horrible, whereas he brought this to the teenagers that sort of gave it that feel. And it's hilarious as well, but, you know, it, it gets you. And it's made for no money. And, what you know, what a great debut. Yeah. So that's your number three. What is your number two? Number two is, uh, and we mentioned this uh, filmmaker earlier, Rob Zombie. His first movie was 
house of a thousand corpses um which is when i thought you might have taken your now wife too which probably wouldn't have got you married um (laughs) devil's rejects almost didn't get me married (laughs) (laughs) but she needs to know who the real you is um so yeah and obviously uh, richard brakes worked with rob zombie so many times and richard brake talked to me about how brilliant rob zombie was so i went and rewatched this movie and oh my gosh it's brilliant it's so daft and silly and fun and dark and it's a rob zombie movie you know it's bat you know crazy it's crazy it's out there so um it's it's a cult favorite and you can see why you know and it also took a few years to be released and that connects it to the dare so let's go with that one (laughs) spiritual brother of the the dare um but if i mean there are tons of people that are rob zombie fans i see tons of people there's a there's a selection of the rob zombie fans there are a lot of people who push back against his work mainly because you could say it's gratuitous. But one thing that I know about Rob's, I pick from Rob Zombie's films, and I got this specifically in Devil's Rejects, um, is he always looks at the people who are technically the antagonists or the villains, but he he paints them more as the heroes of the story. So you're essentially seeing the entire story through the eyes of the villains. Obviously, nobody really sees themselves as the villain, right? Uh, And I got that from Devil's Rejects. So even though... Personally, it's not my kind of movie. I respect that particular point where all the tropes in a horror film where you've got like the, you know, the, the, the hero or the heroine is, is being chased by the killer and is about to kill the kill, kill mm-hmm. that person. And then somebody steps in and rescues. He flips that on its, on its head and it's the reverse. And I, I, I love that aspect. Yeah, uh, totally you're, agree. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. We have filmmaker Giles Alderson, the director, writer behind the movie The Dare. Uh, he's about to tell us his favorite, all-time, all-time favorite horror film. What is it? Number one. Here we go. It is. Bambi. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Dumbo. <laughs> that's a horror movie. Oh, my God. Bambi's a proper horror movie, right? As of a kid, course. that's frightening. That's why we all should go vegan because of Bambi. <laughs> it's my reason. Anyway, it's a good one. Um, my, my, my number one is seven. Um, you know, funny seven. because you mentioned, cause you, you said something earlier when you were talking about Mothman prophecies, but I didn't want to say anything because I was mm-hmm. waiting to see if you picked it where you said some people call Mothman's prophecies, not a horror, but a thriller. Mm-hmm. And then you carried on there. So I was going to ask, did yeah. you consider seven, uh, a, I'm a so glad you didn't because you'd have ruined this moment. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it, do you know what? That's what's amazing about it because people don't put it in the horror bracket as such. But this is a brilliant horror and it is horror. I had to walk out the cinema. Now, I was a bit of a wuss when I was younger. I probably still am, but certainly wasn't. This was my move into horror. This was my moment. And I was so, felt so sick in the cinema. I had to leave. This, this, in my, but I couldn't watch this movie for literally seven years, <laughs> and I came back to seven after seven years, and I watched it again and went, "Oh my god, this is brilliant!" I walked out the cinema. That's crazy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how much it touched me. That's how much it got me. When I rewatched it, I, I saw the layers. I understood it so much more, and I think it is a masterpiece. Fincher, again, we talked about him before about what a brilliant director he is. The performance is a different level. The reveal is outstanding. Absolutely. You know, you, you just go, you, you can't, you can't beat a film like Seven, I don't think for in that horror world. Um, for me, it's just 
outstanding. Wonderful no, absolutely. Movie. Seven Seven is a great pick. Um, it is. It's a film that again you watch. It, no matter how many times you watch it, you can always find something new. You're listening to. You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. Emily, I want to thank you very much for joining us uh, today. Um, thank you. You're, you're welcome back anytime. Whenever you want to come in and talk about any of your any of your videos, would love to have you back on the channel. Yeah, would love to. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Special mention to Ringo, which I did leave off my um my list, but uh, <laughs> I must I must just special mention that one. Is Ringo the is Ringo the penguin that uh, doesn't talk the claymation penguin? Well, I think it's uh, so, sorry. I think the ring. I think the Japanese it, one. Right? Japanese one. It yeah. it is Ringo, David. I'm messing with you. That's Pingu. yeah. I know you are, but still, I just thought <laughs> <laughs> that's Pingu. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can I also make a special mention? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to mention Black Swan, which is more of a... Uh, oh, gosh, yes. yes yeah, yeah, which is more of a psychological horror, but yeah, very much like a very chilling film um, and definitely a great film about sort of artists, you know, putting all of their pain and mental health on the line for their art. There you go. So you can sandwich those in whichever parts of the top five that you want to do so. <laughs> Excellent. So you've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Hacko. I'm still David Campbell. Thank you very much for listening. And see you next week.